this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to another Reflection episode. We're reflecting this week on last week's conversation with Adam Johns. Let's jump into the intro and we'll get into the podcast. Great start. Dogs are barking already. We haven't even got into the intro. Let's go. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Okay, peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. If you don't already know what it is, we are the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what we say on the tin. We're here to change the perception of health and safety, and we are knee-deep in a mini-series all about Safety 1 and Safety 2. Or, as last week's guest would say, it's only Safety 2. So, today I'm going to cover my thoughts and my notes on my conversation with Adam Johns. I've literally just finished the edit, so this is fresh off the bat, fresh off the fresh off the stove, fresh off, fresh from the oven. What's the saying? There's a saying there. I know there is, but I can't think of it. It has left my brain. Okay, one thing I'd like to note is whilst I was editing this podcast, not this one, the conversation with Adam, I actually texted Adam and was like, Dude, why are we so awkward? Like, I was a really bad, like, really awkward interviewer in in that conversation. So, one, I apologise to Adam, firstly. It must have been horrible. Two, I apologise to all you that you had to listen to that. Now, I will caveat that with there was some technical difficulties. If you watched on YouTube, you'll have saw that, literally, because we had to cut the, the video out. I even left the audio in to explain it to you all so you knew what was going on. And also to follow our our brand of being authentic and open with you all. So, we left that in there. We did not cut that out. But again, you know, I... Well, I knew Adam for a fair bit before then, but I maybe I was a uh, I was a little bit nervous around talking about this safety two stuff. I was still quite fresh. I mean, we recorded this. I've, I'm literally texting Adam now, um, and we're trying to work out when we recorded. We reckon it was back in April during the first lockdown. Um, so so much has changed since then. Um, why has there been such a massive delay in getting that episode out? Well, primarily because. We were building the Safety 2, Safety 1 mini-series that I really wanted to do. And when we first chatted with Adam, it wasn't really on the cards. It was just a chat with Adam. And then we had a couple of interviews pop up. And the idea sort of kind of um, kind of bloomed, so to speak. So, yeah, that that's why we left it for so long. I knew exactly, once I'd imagined what the Safety 2, Safety 1, Safety 2 mini-series was going to look like, I knew exactly where I wanted to put Adam's conversation, like smack bang in the middle. Um, to, to get a real good kind of unbiased um, but very firm safety to view on how to actually do this and Adam covers, covers very well some fundamental fundamental kind of philosophies um, from safety to the ways that he looks at it um, some perceptions and some foundations but also some tangible things that we can take away. Um, so I'm going to cover some things that I kind of thought was was kind of notable uh, as I was listening to it. 
I think firstly he has quite I would say a unique view maybe it's not unique maybe it's some would say the actual view of what safety two should be um in that I've just alluded to it in that there is no real safety one and safety two it, there is only safety two um so for those of you that don't really get it yet there is several conversations around the safety one versus safety two safety one and safety two um, and, and there's how I kind of describe it, which is I see safety one as the poor implementation of good safety uh, and then BBS, behavior-based safety, HOP, human or, and organizational performance, safety two from Eric or safety differently. All of those things are kind of like bolt-ons or add-ons or updates, which are good things, things to change your perception, extra tools to put in your kind of management of safety at work. So I kind of see... <clears throat> safety one as um, poor implementation when we talk about it in a one versus the other when we say that when we're talking about that safety one being the negative that's how I look at it there's another way of looking at it which I also kind of look at when we're talking about safety one being a foundational piece which is kind of what Adam's talking about then we're looking at safety two being that compliance based approach the management systems the traditional way of looking at safety the very technical way of looking at safety um, you know traditionally how we are taught to do safety for our knee boshes NCRQs whatever doing risk assessments having management systems procedures and safe systems of work and stuff like that so when we're talking about safety one being the foundations of a safety two system then that is what safety one is those systems those paper-based systems etc when we talk about it in a negative sense some people say that it's you know seeing people as a problem etc but i see that as poor implementation of safety i don't think there was ever uh, any guidance or anything like that that says people are the problem i think actually the hc's guidance and the legislation i think encourages us to engage with our people um so yeah this can get a bit complicated and that's just my 10 pence worth and then to, to kind of now that's the kind of context i wanted to give you there's looking at the way that adam looks at it so so we're looking at this positive description of safety one now in that it's the traditional management systems and safe systems of work etc etc accidents investigations and all the traditional way we're talking about adam sees that as safety one uh, and therefore he sees it as there is only safety two because safety one is included in safety two so now it is just a change of perception so we still keep all of those stuff but we change the way we talk about it and we change the way we approach it which i find quite refreshing uh, in the way that adam talks about it in that it's not about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which obviously you've heard time and time again now throughout this uh, mini series um so the way that Adam kind of describes it is that safety one view people as being hazardous uh, and safety is about avoiding negatives. So avoiding negative situations, whereas safety two being people are crucial to success and safety is the presence of positives. So safety, and, and I kind of get where that's coming from. Like if you think about when you talk about safety, let's say we're watching a horror film like safety is the presence of a positive it's a it's a positive thing isn't it we're trying to run away from this crazy axe murderer to get to safety but yet when we get into work safety is a very negative thing we only talk about safety we only talk about safety in a negative 
context, a negative tone, so to speak, in that we we look at it like, right, you know, is it safe or unsafe? You know, when we're talking about safety, it's how many accidents and incidents and what went wrong and, and, and why didn't we do this and blah, blah, blah. It's always negative, negative, negative. Whereas that's not safety, is it? That's unsafety in, in a way lack for lack of a better phrase that's being unsafe so i think what safety 2 is trying to bring to the game is not saying that we never look at the negative things but we also look at where's the things that are going right it's it's a way to say well don't just observe looking for negativity observe looking for what's doing real what, what are we doing really well where are uh machine operators or in adam's case pilots and uh, in my case kind of well machine operators and construction workers where are they managing the risk already really well so it's the presence of success for management of the risk that's the kind of how i've interpreted it um so i think we don't like i say we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater so we don't say we're never looking at negatives negativity exists but as does the positive, there's no good without bad and so yin and yang and all that stuff. So it, it, it's like safety two is trying to say to us, well, now we look at this in a different light. We try to find the positives and then we move on to the blame stuff in a minute. But that's kind of Adam's way of putting it in that safety one being a very negative view of stuff. People are hazardous to avoiding negatives and people, um, I'm, I'm sorry, and safety is avoiding negatives. And I think back to when I did my knee wash many, 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 many years ago and those you that don't uh, exist uh, or work in the the UK um, or, or primarily I think it exists wide you can get the international one so maybe in Europe uh, people are aware of it you know if you're on Australia or you're listening over in America thank you very much for tuning in um, well you may not know what a Nibosh is so basically a Nibosh is a very general base level qualification Nibosh general certificate is a base level qualification that really is the entry qualification to get into safety so traditionally it is you know well traditionally unfortunately because we we kind of over rely on qualifications and safety you really can't be a safety professional without, without a nebosh general certificate and there obviously are more so that that's kind of what nebosh is so anyway i remember back doing when i did my nebosh general all those many moons ago and i remember i remember my tutor saying to me safety is easy if we got rid of humans and i remember him saying that we will be our job will be much easier when we just replace everyone with robots and i remember thinking even back then that oh, what a horrible world to live in and also well we would be out of the job uh, and also we need humans to maintain the robots as well so humans are always going to be an integral part of what we do and and i don't think that what my tutor said there is ne necessarily wrong and i also don't think that safety 2 puts humans on this pedestal in that they're perfect i actually think it's quite the opposite i think you know if you listen back to the episode with uh, todd conkin i kind of made a, a slip of the tongue and said that you know human error doesn't exist well, and and todd quite quite promptly corrected me what i actually meant to say is that it, it does exist but it is nothing wrong with it existing and, and in fact we can't really get rid of it humans are inherently fallible um we need to kind of accept that but also what humans are is incredibly innovative and awesome problem solvers so 
it's from Todd's point of view, it's like building capacity to absorb their fallibility, uh, if that's even a word, and but also utilizing their ability to innovate. So I feel like we still get that safety one side. Humans are fallible. We need to we need to build capacity to to absorb that failure. But also then the safety two thing brings on an acceptance of that failability, that fallibility, and and adds on uh, an acknowledgement in which whilst they are fallible, whilst we as humans are fallible, um, we also are innovative so we bring people on board and we engage with them and i'm not just talking about the shop floor workers i'm talking about management i'm talking about leaders and, and so on and so forth so i thought that the conversation with adam for me when we were talking about that that kind of what's the difference etc it much it's much more philosophical in a way it's much more about perspective you know adam says you know it's not a system it's a change in perspective it's a change in a lens that we look through which is quite a common phrase within the safety two community so i i, I kind of i quite like that and and i that's how that's how i've interpreted that conversation if you have interpreted differently please engage with us and and let's have the chat nicely and calmly um you know, he gets in there early on. I know I just put a note here that he states early on. He want Adam wanted to be clear. This is not about throwing the baby in the bath or out with the bathwater. It is not about you know one versus the other. He talks about it in like it's um you know the evolution of music, which I really like. That's quite a bit further down my um my notes i think so i'm probably going to repeat myself later on but you know he, he gives that example of how we evolve through music you know blues kind of eventually created metal and, and rock and roll and all stuff like that so whilst you would not have the two in the same room maybe unless you're really eclectic in your music taste um they they, they ex one couldn't exist without the other so why has it become such a negative thing that we've done the same thing in safety that safety two is inevitably uh, is or sorry ultimately an evolution of safety one why has it become one versus the other interesting um so let's have a look at what other notes you got uh, we ended up talking about safety differently, um, and 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 the the kind of interesting tone there that, that a lot of us kind of claim this safety two or new view. We we branch them all under the same thing, and we include safety differently within that. And that Eric Honag actually has on his website that safety differently, in his opinion, is still safety one uh, from his work. Um, so you know safety differently is not safety two um safety two is more of a science-based theory leading on to resilience which is also what dominic cooper said that you know what we're talking about here is actually resilience engineering he didn't like that he kind of to quote him said the resilience was was slippy um and, and kind of you know hard to grasp and hard to measure people on so i think he's got a bit of skepticism there skepticism there around um you know how we how we know somebody's doing a good job essentially um so so that kind of makes sense it seems to be like a common trend there that you know what eric is talking about here is actually resilience engineering and safety two leads on to that which I actually find it, i think uh, i think dom said as well that you know eric has kind of wholly moved on to um resilience engineering now so we let's have a look here what have we got on my notes 
Oh, so yeah, so we 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 ended up talking about kind of mis misrepresentation or maybe the misimplementation of systems. And and Adam gave a very good example of Swiss cheese, and I've spoken about which you'll hear from Carson Bush in this series where he talks heavily about this, uh, where we talk about the, how critical people are of Heinrich's work, and actually, you know, people call Heinrich stupid and so on and so forth, in which actually at the time when that was made it was really innovative and that without that we wouldn't be where we are now so the same for the swiss cheese and james reason and, and and so on and so forth so we we need to be really sure i think that what we are being critical about is actually what that thing was intended to be so like for example swiss cheese are we criticizing what it was intended to be i think it's james reason i might have got the name wrong uh but james reason has kind of come out and said um, you know what you're all criticizing is not actually what I intended Swiss cheese model to be um, so that's really interesting and the same for Heinrich's triangle and dominoes and that you'll hear from Carson in a few episodes time which is a fascinating episode and don't get me wrong I've been there I've been there it wasn't until we've done this mini series that I've learned so much in such a short amount of time from talking to people and I'm talking like you know a few months um, well, I say a few months, it's probably been about six to nine months, actually, so nearly a year, but, you know, I, I, I have learned so much just talk, doing this mini-series, it's been hard, don't get me wrong, and at times, really delving deep into these arguments has been tiring, but... I, I, you can listen back to my conversation, which was not long before I recorded uh, with Adam, uh, with with Sam from the Hot Nerd, and you know we had the conversation about how stupid the, the the triangle was, and it wasn't until a few months after that I spoke to Carsten that I really got an understanding that God, we're being really cr- critical about something that actually is not what it was intended to be, um, and I and I think Adam is very good at that of having he has a he's a very rational bloke, he's a very kind of critical thinker. Uh, in a way, um, and and I think he, I learn a lot from Adam. You know, he'll he'll hate me hearing me say this, but uh, if he listens, but I genuinely have learned a lot from the way that he thinks, the way that he approaches things. Um, he's very kind of empathetic uh, and understanding as well. So anyway, so da, 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 we spoke about the. I told you I was going to repeat myself. Here's my notes about uh, safety one, including the the scope of safety one, which is I'll put here as well that you know Adam talks about that music thing, but Kevin Furness also referred to it as phone upgrades, if I remember rightly. So you know we, there's a common theme here, and actually the people that are doing this, not the academics, the people that are doing the do, are just getting on with it. And they see it as an upgrade. They see it as a next integral step into how we, we kind of get to a point. And a lot of them talk about reaching a plateau. You know, even Tim Marsh talks about reaching a plateau. I think he, he says when you're, when you're starting to get um, diminishing returns from your systems, that's the point when you engage with Tim. And Tim is behavioral-based safety. Um, you know, John Green talks about it. John Green is, is, is hugely safety differently. Kelvin Genn is safety differently. He mentioned it. Kevin Furness, uh, Adam Johns. All of them talk about the same thing. When we get to a point, we're receiving diminishing returns. When we get to a point, we're at a plateau and nothing is changing, which is where we are in the UK. We, you know, some of you are going, well, we've killed less people this year. Well, well done. There's there's a lot more context to that, but we still killed 111 people last year, this year, last year. Um, The year before that, we were, five years before that, we were stuck at, you know, anything from 135 to like 140 something. It's not enough. Should we really be living in a world where people die at work? Like, really? So, 
for me, I think we're at that plateau, and I, and I think it's it's hard for us to work out how we can experiment with something. And this is where Dom, I think, has a very valid point. And I understand I've mentioned Dom a few times. This is not a reflection on on Dom's episode, but I think what Adam says, you know, really does bring up a lot of thoughts and in my brain. And and it's actually very good at <laughs> making me think, essentially. Um, but. Uh, we need to everything is an experiment at first so uh somebody put on a post on linkedin a while ago which actually has just come to my mind now uh in that you know everything we do must be based on data if you don't base it on data then you're just a smuck um obviously that person was american uh, in england we don't say schmuck um so and i was like that's a very valid point it would be stupid to do something without data but there needs to be experimentation before there's data so we need to do this so inevitably the argument saying well there's no data if this works well we've got to do it first to see if it works surely at first people thought the light bulb was stupid people probably thought the wheel was stupid people thought that you know and blackberry said that well, watch, i said this all the time but blackberry said that you know people like the feel of buttons no they, they won't go over to touchscreen and look at us all now so inevitably um, we're going to be having these debates and these arguments, which is a good thing. It holds us all to account, it keeps us on track, and it makes sure that we're all focusing at the same thing. So, let's talk about some of the things about the physical approaches to this. One of the main changes that Adam talks about a lot is language and a lot of people talk about this it's it's the changing of our language a current language is dominated by negativity as we said earlier and adam and i love this phrase which i have stole off of him and i don't know whether he stole it from someone else words create worlds and that is just like mind-blowing that's amazing words create worlds so think about it if you're using a very uh, restrictive language of like you know like violation and restriction and you know negative words that that kind of depict a picture of uh, stopping work and being restrictive of, of work is it no surprise then that we struggle to get leaders to engage with us? Is it no surprise that people view risk assessments as a disabler instead of an enabler? It doesn't matter if we talk about this and say risk assessments are are an enabler. And yes, we can change our language and we can do it, but our actions also need to follow that. But I think comes first is the way we talk about things. And that's why I think that the, the language and the words we use are fundamentally the foundations of, of our actions. So let's think about it this way. When you are doing some work, let's say you have implemented a scheme. Oh, come on, James, think out loud. Think out loud. You are implementing a scheme around manual handling, right? Let's say you are doing some manual handling training. Let's say you're doing some manual handling training, right? You need everybody to go on this manual handling training. So you send out an email to all staff. And you say, well, everyone needs to go on this mandatory training for manual handling. It, We need to do it to be compliant. What does that say? What does that like, communicate out to the staff? That communicates you're doing it because you want to be compliant. Right, which is technically correct, not incorrect. We need to be compliant 100%. We need to tick the boxes 100%. We need to produce evidence that we have done something to provide information, instruction, and training because that's a legal requirement. I do not deny that. Do not deny that. However, 
do we have to be does that have to be our, our our driver does that have to be the word that we use what about hi everyone you need to go on to this mandatory training please manual handling because we want you to be well we do not want you to have a bad back because we care about you hi everyone we want you to go on this mandatory man, man, manual handling training because we care about you not because the law tells us so this is my thing about the the word compliance i don't have an issue with compliance in general because everybody needs to be compliant as i just said i have a word with well, i have a word i have an issue with the overuse of the word let's do this to be compliant are we doing this to be compliant are we compliant what so if the law wasn't there to tell you not to send children up chimneys anymore would we just go back to doing that obviously we wouldn't so when you use the word compliant for me that just communicates that you don't care so that's why i think that adam when he says here that words create worlds i think it does the word that you choose communicates a subliminal message that you're not doing this for me you're doing it for you and i think that's so important so let's move on then so adam one of the first things he did as change was change his language one of the first things he changed was his language and how we approach this stuff so i keep that in mind is a lot of people in the safety two space talk don't talk about accidents and incidents they talk about events they talk about an event at work because they don't want to make a preconception that it was a bad thing because they don't have the data an accident means it was unintentional now it may have been unintentional but it was an accident has this preconception that it was unintentional and it produced a negative event now yes maybe it did but it comes with this this other preconception that somebody did something wrong and we are not the ones to put that label on something as what what adam was saying is he goes on to say that we shouldn't really be labeling things as safe or unsafe they're things that happened in the workplace and our job is to work out why it happened and how can we learn if we put a label on it as that was a safe operation this is not a safe operation that inevitably leads to blame now don't get me wrong as i'm saying this stuff i there, there is that traditional way of coming at, at, back at me to say well how do we know we're safe and and i think this is a huge challenge and i think it depends how mature you are in the system the more and more you go through it the more conversations you have with people the more we question you know okay so we can't say something safe or unsafe but what can we say that's a genuine question that's a genuine question i should have asked adam um and maybe i did and I'm, i haven't got it in my notes but i can't even as i'm saying this i think about it it's it's hard to make this shift it's hard to be unbiased you know there is a bias within saying something is safe and something is unsafe because i suppose what we're trying to say here maybe is that safety is relative it's a balance on the achievement that we're trying to get so you know work being in the military is an unsafe occupation but we still have it you know being at war is unsafe but we still have it climbing rocks is unsafe but people still do it a lot of sport is unsafe but we still do it so safety inevitably is relative to what we're doing so i i think what we're trying to say here in this safety community is a safety two community it's not i'm not going to say that actually because there shouldn't be a safety one community and safety two community i think what people are trying to say from that safety two uh, perspective is that 
not that something is unsafe or safe, is that does that help us if we define it as safe or unsafe? Does it help us? Because if it doesn't, then we're, well, there's no point doing it. It's, it's a waste of time. It's kind of how I look at it anyway. That's how I've interpreted it. And that's how I look at this blame conversation. Is that, does it help us to say that person was wrong? So let's think about it right now in this coronavirus situation. Does it help us to say the government has screwed up? Does that help? I don't think it does. Does that mean we don't hold the government to account? No, I don't think. I, I think they hold themselves to account. But I think, does that help us? Go, spend 10 minutes next week on, on Prime Minister's questions and listen to it. It's all blame, blame, blame. Every statement is, you have not done this, or you did this, and that's caused this, and it's negative, negative, negative. Does that actually get us anywhere? Really does it? Because I genuinely don't think it does. And what I think the safety two approach brings us is that, is that blaming is not necessarily something we should or shouldn't do but what we should ask ourselves is does that help us improve because if it doesn't let's just move on and not bother so i think politics is a very good example of why we need that approach anyway i'm just thinking out loud here people so if you don't agree please engage with us on on social media and we can have that chinwag about it so you know it's that question is, is is does it bring value which i think is really important and what we're doing does it bring values let's have a look at whatever other notes i've got do, 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 do. so on that point we're talking about say like an accident and his, or an observation adam talks about an observation right and he was talking about you know he's observing to just gather data so they do this audit they have someone watching the the um the pilot that person is not there to blame that person to, to assign whether something they did was unsafe or safe it's to gather data now imagine if you did a behavioral-based observation you did a, a workplace observation whatever you want to call it and you're coming from the premise of I'm just here to gather data and you didn't have that blame culture, you're probably closer to experiencing work in reality or work is done as a lot of people say. Now if you do have blame existed in your workplace, the second you are being watched you change, you get nervous and you, you, you probably take less risks. So therefore if we have that, the safety professional, the observer, whoever's doing that observation has an obscured reality, uh, obscured perception of reality because what they're seeing is not real, and that is the reason why I think we should blame less and, and aim to learn because not because it shouldn't exist and people shouldn't be held to account, but because it's not beneficial. It obscures our our view on reality and what actually happens in the workplace because the second you get there, people change the way they work. So. When Adam thinks talks about it, I, I kind of interpret it in that we, we we are trying to gather data to then collaboratively define the kind of and I've I've made this these three words up and put them together to coin a very poor phrase, but we're we're gathering data to define our preferred predicted outcome. So we're trying to work out what the if if let's say we're doing a kind of preemptive observation, so not a, an event investigation or whatever you want to call it accident investigation we're, we're doing an observation to work out what's the outcome of that and is that our preferred outcome can we learn is there a better way to do this 
because as Adam says, you only know if something's safe when it's gone wrong. Because if it's gone wrong, then we know it's unsafe. So inevitably, if it didn't go wrong, then everything is safe. So all we're trying to do actually is work out what's the outcome we think is going to happen from this action. And do we think, do we accept that predicted outcome? Are we happy with it? Or would we want to create a preferred outcome? That's kind of how I look at it and how I've interpreted it. Um, we're not saying, right, Bob, you did this at this time and that's wrong. So even if it is against the procedure, the question should be, why did you do that? Is the procedure wrong? Is everybody doing that? We need to learn why somebody deviated from the, the procedure. So that's why I don't like terms like violation and deviation. Maybe deviation is not too bad. Um, but like when people say well, it's a violation of the procedure, like to me, that's just horrible. It's a horrible word. You violated the procedure. Like Jesus Christ. Like that, that just puts me on the back foot as the worker now that I've, I've made a violation at work. So it, and now I'm, I'm, I'm inevitably going to be blamed for that. It's just an assumption that whoever made this procedure um, has has knows more than me. And they may do. But we still need to ask why. Because if somebody's not following that procedure, it's because they haven't been shown to, you know, haven't been shown the procedure maybe. Maybe they can't read the procedure. Maybe they don't understand the procedure. Maybe they don't think the procedure works and they've got a better way to do it. And that is why we focus on learning in my opinion again this is all just my opinion because you know what is my podcast and if you don't agree then let's talk actually if you don't agree let's come on the podcast i'd love to get people that do not agree i want us to have dissenting opinions i want people this audience to hear hundreds of thousands of different ways to do things so that they can work out what works for them so if you don't agree, please drop me a message. And if you're up for it, you can come on the podcast whenever you want. Okay, a couple of last things on my notes. Milk their brain. What a, what a phrase. What a phrase. Adam, you should copyright that. Milk their brain. We're leaving judgment out to milk their brain to work out and find potential improvements. Now that is just a beautiful and kind of funny way of saying everything i've just been talking about for the last like 20 minutes that's what we're trying to do that's the shift i think listen to that listen to that statement leave judgment out to, to milk their brain to work out what happened to find potential improvements now think about traditional way of dinner we've investigated the incident to work out what went wrong you're saying the same thing but what sounds better all right, maybe you don't want to use milk their brain in the workplace. Depends what kind of workplace you are. Depends whether you're surrounded by those real pretentious professional people that get really upset about one phrase. Um, let's change it from, from milk my brain to, you know, we're not here to judge. We're here to work out uh, what happened and to find a potential improvement. It's exactly the same. I'm here to investigate to find out what went wrong. Now, if I'm the worker, who am I going to talk to? I'm here just to work out what went wrong. Um, to uh, even if you change, get my words, mumble, mumble, my words out. Even if you change the tone of how you say it. Hi, I'm here to investigate to work out what went wrong in that incident last week, and still got my back up because you've used the words wrong and investigate. I, I automatically feel like, well, if you find out what wrong, what went wrong when I'm the person that did it, therefore I'm at fault. 
Or if I turned up and went, hi, uh, I'm here to just find out what happened uh, and see if there's any way we can we can improve that. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a lot of foundational culture-based work there. It depends if you if you've already you know it doesn't matter if you change the language. You're still blaming people left, right, and center. Then then granted, it's not going to matter. But which sounds better? For me, it's always going to be that less kind of negative statement. In that, hi, I'm here to find out what happened so that we can see if we can work any better. I'm not here to blame. I'm just here to work out whether we can learn. For me, that sounds so much better. I thought there's a very valid point in that Adam said that we need to find clearer lines between HR and health and safety. I think that's a very, very good point. We talk about blame and holding people to account in safety a lot, but is it really our job to do that? I don't want to hold people to account. I'm not a manager. I don't work in HR. I think that safety oversteps its mark when we talk about blame and we decide who's wrong i think we as safety need to act as not judge jury and executioner we need to act as investigators if you look at it from a legal point of view we gather the data as unbiased as we can and we present a case to the person hr and manager who decides on whether that person was wrong or not should we try to influence that decision to learn and not blame 100 percent However, there is a position where somebody turned up pissed out of a tree or, you know, they're doing drugs whilst working or they just smacked someone or, you know, there's a real blatant um, issues or a kind of real blatant bad thing that they've done. Then, yeah, blame should probably exist. But there's always context to that. If somebody's turned up work drunk, why? Well, because they're probably, maybe they're suffering for something at home that we don't know about. Is that out of our control? Yes, it is. Should we not let them come to work? Well, yeah, we shouldn't because they're drunk, but you blame them, fire them. They're probably just going to make their situation even worse. So there's like a lack of empathy there and it just doesn't help anyone. So I think I think there's some very valid points there. And is it our job really to blame people or is it our job to work out what's our preferred way of working and work out how we can improve and gather data when something did go wrong or or didn't go how we intended it to go gather the data and see how we can improve and then if somebody wants to hold somebody to account be that management or all the way down us mere commoners on the shop floor then you present that to the people that are there to do that job which is hr and management in my opinion not health and safety it's not my job to get involved in blaming people because how can i as a safety professional get an unbiased conversation with somebody and get the true honest um uh, the, the the kind of an honest way of what's going on and honest communication there we go find my words honest communication of reality if they're scared that i'm just going to grasp on them to the boss so if they're always doing something that breaking the so-called rules of work and, and they know that James, the safety guy, as soon as you tell him that we break the rules, you're going to go straight to Bob, the boss. They're not going to tell me, are they? But yet I need to know because they're breaking the rules. So the rule is wrong or they're breaking the rule and we need to hold them to account. Whichever one you want to choose and let the context decide that it it doesn't matter. If there is blame and they're scared that I'm going to blame someone, then they're never going to tell me. But if my position is always like, right, you've broken the rules, why? 
Well, because the rules don't work, James. Okay, why don't they work? Well, because if you see here, here's a great example from my experience, right? I used to work in manufacturing, as most of you now know. And there's two examples. We used to work in this, this, this explosive atmosphere in one part of our sector, right? We had two problems. Um, one was specific to the explosive atmosphere environment in which you couldn't use like your normal tools that I think are made out of steel or whatever, right? You couldn't use your normal steel tool, right? Because it could potentially spark, right? But yet they had steel tools there. So we found on an audit that they had steel tools there and I would, this was my first ever safety job. So, you know, I was very much that kind of traditional way of looking at things and would have 100% probably blamed the workers. And I can remember thinking that they were just idiots. So get to the point. So what you do is you replace those tools with brass tools. Now, for any of you that don't know, brass is really soft. Now, the bolts and nuts and bolts on the machines are not also made out of brass. They're made out of, I think, steel, if I remember rightly, right? Which is really strong. Now, try undoing a tight brass bolt with a, uh, sorry, a tight steel bolt with a brass spanner. A spanner just moves and, and just doesn't grip onto it and it just breaks, basically. It just it absorbs. It kind of, you know, it's like trying to, like trying to undo a screw or a chocolate bar. It, it just doesn't work. So, the tool didn't work. The tool was a problem. How did we approach it back then? Well, these people are just idiots. Do they not know that that could spark and blow everybody up? But they couldn't do their job. So whilst the production side was still saying, hurry up, hurry up, make the machine. Why was it taking so long? Uh, and we're providing them with tools that don't work. And then we just blame the worker. But it's not the worker's fault. There's a got there's like numerous goal conflicts there. So when I look back on it now, it's, it's blatantly obvious to me that the solution that I provided them did not work. And that for me is exactly why I look at Safety One as being not one way of doing it. It's a poor implementation. I should have looked at that and gone, okay, these tools don't work. We need to find out how this is going to work. Engage with engineering, engage with the operators, engage with management. We've got a problem here. Yes, it is a problem because, you know, the guys cannot do their job. We cannot uh, do what, what we need to do in line with this audit or this guidance. So something needs to change. There's an improvement here somewhere, but we don't know what it is. So we need to work together. Another example in that same area, but not a specific problem, is that we had a decision from up on high in our corporate office in, in America that they're doing this massive drive on on cut proof uh, gloves they want to reduce cuts and uh, cuts to hands right and they basically send us a shitload of gloves and we start finding these tips of fingers off these cut proof gloves which is ironic in itself that have been cut off and they were just sitting around and we start to see people um, wearing these f top finger tops uh, gloves the uh, gloves without the finger tops you know what I mean fingerless gloves you know what I mean anyway which kind of defeats the purpose because they were wearing cut-proof gloves, but they're not cut-proof because you cut the fingers off. So now the fingers are, are kind of at risk. So this was in breach of our procedures. And I remember that the one person that we caught doing it was uh, a safety rep. So the management wanted to make a very clear example of this person and punish them um, because they're a safety rep and they're broken a rule. Um, so I kind of got that. but. 
even then at my kind of young age in the career i tried i decided to just want to chop floor and I, not because i was you know innovatively ahead of my time i wasn't but i just said you know why are you cutting the fingers off and they went they don't freaking work on the touch screens james and i was like ah oh, okay so you're having to whip your gloves off every, what, every time you use that touch screen i was like yeah and, and when you watch them work, like, they don't really have time for that. It was like a couple of seconds. It would just be annoying, wouldn't it? So we just bought them gloves that, had, that worked with touchscreen. Now, they were the only machines that had touchscreen. So easy peasy. Everyone else was fine. It was just them. So we got them touchscreen gloves that also achieved the same level of uh, cut proof that we needed. And we fixed the problem. So it wasn't the worker. It was the glove that they were provided. And I think that's what this so-called safety two tries to bring us back to safety as originally intended is that find out where the problem is the problem is not the worker nine times out of ten it's the systems that drive them to the worker and when people say that this stuff is not new i get it because in that same that same job that i just talked about i remember receiving an email from a manager that had been on this training course and he basically implemented this five wise investigations uh, process and and it was this whole really nicely put together email that said you know systems is what normally causes the problems our management systems what normally causes the problem not the worker so we want you to use the five whys and blah 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 the problem is our actions didn't really follow up on that unfortunately but that is what why i call this safety as originally intended and that safety two is bringing us back to what we were supposed to do in the first place and safety one is the poor implementation of that safety as originally intended so let me see if i got any i've got one paragraph left and no that's it i've already covered that so that was my some of my notes and my thoughts around um around my chat with adam I'm, I'm, I'm probably starting to bore everybody because I pretty much say the same thing every week but in a different way um, let me know what you think of these reflection episodes uh, it's helping me for sure because now instead of just listening to the, 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 the interview in the background listening for kind of things I need to edit out um, I'm actually having to be present when I'm listening to it and engaged in it and, and it's helping I have take notes which is helping me learn and, and stuff like that so for me it's good um, so hopefully you like it so I can carry on doing it um, but let me know what you think if you don't like it mate we're here for you so we will pivot um, so drop us a message you can find us at LinkedIn, James McPherson, one I think it is, James McPherson, one, you can come and find me, you can also find Rebranded Safety on LinkedIn and Facebook, and you can find us on Twitter, but Twitter is slightly different because it's special, it's Safety Rebranded, um, so come and chat with us, let us know how, how you're finding this new structure, these reflection episodes, don't forget to buy yourself some merch, www.rebrandedsafety.com, and if you listen on iTunes, please, please, please give us a rate and review because that really, really helps. And, you know, we do a lot of work for you. We provide you all this content. It's not easy. This is like half one on a, Monday, on a Sunday and, um, you know, giving up my weekends for you. So the least you can do is, is do me a rate and review, right? Thank you very much, you guys. I shall catch you next week when we talk to another person in our Safety 1 and Safety 2 mini-series. Safety.
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.